Welcome back to the cast of characters today. We'll be talking about the Harry Potter franchise. Today is my guest, Alex Galbraith. This episode, we'll be going over the, the whole story arc of the movies. Um, and we're going to talk about Ron and Hermione's love relationship that, that grew from episode one to episode seven. And then we're going to talk about how Harry Potter was like the chosen one in everybody's eyes. And then we'll talk about how Snape kind of played a double agent. He was on the good side, but he was also on the bad side. And then we're going to talk about the main villain in the series, Voldemort. So, Alex, give us the whole story arc pretty much wow that's a lot to (laughs) to (laughs) uncover for eight movies seven books eight movies uh basically the the overlying story of of harry potter really is harry potter was the boy who lived right the boy with the scar he survived basically a murder attempt from voldemort you're right and that's kind of how the first one starts it's you see Dumbledore and Professor McGonagall, love Professor McGonagall, <laughs> and uh, drop off Harry Potter, the, the baby. Uh, Hagrid brings him in, drop him off at the door of the Dursleys, which is his aunt and uncle. It's the only legit family he has left, like real, I guess, blood family, yeah. because Aunt Petunia is was Harry's mother's sister. Yeah. So he lives there. And obviously, they mistreat him very badly. They're very, they're very mean to him. They're rude. They basically treat him like a slave. I mean, it, it, it's a miserable, miserable life for him. And he goes for, you know, 11, 12 years without even knowing he's a wizard that has these powers, you know. Uh, but, but the overlying story, again, is Voldemort goes to kill Harry's parents, which he does. He tries to kill Harry, and it backfires. You know, Voldemort's curse backfires. Basically... It's kind of cheesy, but because of the strong amount of love that Harry's mother had for him, that helped propel Voldemort's curse back onto him. So Harry, as a baby, basically killed Voldemort, really, when you think about it. The curse left a scar on Harry's head. That's why it's such a big deal. That's why it hurts him throughout the series. You'll see him grabbing it and and complaining about it, usually when there's, it's almost like a spider sense, really. When Voldemort's near or something bad's happening, his scar hurts. Um, and And that's the whole story. I mean, he... Once he b- discovers that he's a wizard, he goes uh, off to Hogwarts and for, for seven years, really, learns how to become a wizard. And, and it's really funny to me, like, if you watch the movies especially, I mean, it's all, obviously, the movies are all based on books. <laughs> Clearly, J.K. Rowling was brilliant. I mean, yeah. bloody brilliant. Yeah. But the first three episodes, so Sorcerer's Stone, Chamber of Secrets, Prisoner of Azkaban, are more lighthearted maybe than the others like you know because the first one's cool every every movie has a challenge yeah you know every movie has a a villain most of the time it is Voldemort in some shape or form there's always some conflict you wouldn't have a movie if you didn't but it's not until you get to the fourth one where it really I think gets dark Harry's a lot older he's about 15 16 probably so he's older he's more mature he has more powers and that's when Voldemort returns in that fourth one and that's when I think the whole series takes like a turn for the worse in terms of darkness. Uh, it's lighthearted. Yes, five and six have their little their good moments, but with Voldemort being back, everybody in the Wizarding world knows there's a bigger threat out there, and everybody tries to downplay it. He's not back. You're just making it up. If he is back, it's not that big a deal. But it is. He's back, and he's got this army, and he's got everything. So it really four through eight really is to me where it gets darker. It gets more intense. It's um, not as family friendly, <laughs> I would say, as the first, it, first three. But all of them to me are, are excellent, really. Yeah. So, 
Uh, yeah, it's just this ongoing battle of Harry trying to fill into his shoes as the chosen one. And again, that's such a, a difficult role to play because he doesn't want to be like he. Harry does a good job of really not like bragging about it. Yeah. Walking around like, yeah, I'm the chosen one. I get whatever I want. I just, I deserve to be treated differently. Yeah. He because he doesn't, uh, and he does a good job of that. But he has to fill that shoes because everybody looks at him as that way. Mm-hmm. If Harry gets something good that happens to him, they think it's because he's the chosen one because people are just you know helping him out because of who he is. And Harry doesn't want that. He just wants to live this normal life, and he can't do that because of the history when he was a baby. And then of course he has to be the one to take down Voldemort. No one else can do that. And that's, that's a pretty big responsibility, I'd say, for seriously, a kid that's, I mean, by the time I think the eighth movie ends, he's probably 20 max, yeah. at, at probably not even that, probably 18, 19. So, I mean, that's a pretty big deal. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's a, a very brief overview in a way. We, I mean, I, we could sit here for hours and talk about each movie, but yeah. that's a very brief, <laughs> quick hit. Hitter. So, with Ron and Hermione's little, I guess, love interest from one to the eighth one, how, like talk about how it developed and everything throughout the movies. Well, I love Ron and Hermione. Uh, I, everybody talks in, in any sort of movie about your side characters. Ron and Hermione weren't side characters; they were main characters. You know, Harry, yeah. Harry Potter this, Harry Potter that, but Ron and Hermione helped make that movie, yeah. obviously, and they're Harry Potter's best friends. But you can tell from the first episode. Uh, when you know Harry kind of jumps into the train cart with Ron, and they're starting to talk, and then Hermione kind of comes in, right, right there, you knew there was like almost this connection between Ron and Hermione, yeah. you know. And again, y- y- what I loved about this entire series, the books, the movies, however you want to look at it, it's just the character arc and development for for everybody, every character. I mean, the, our main three, uh, your professors, uh, Draco Malfoy, who no one likes. I mean. It, Everybody, the character arc is, is amazing. Some for the better, some for the worse. But Ron and Hermione, they kind of bicker at each other for a good portion of the of the show or of the of the movie series. You know, like Ron's like, you know, you're just a goody two shoes, and you're uh, you're uh, you know super smart, obviously, but you're annoying sometimes. He even says it in the first one. You know, I can't remember exactly how he said it, but they're walking to class. It's Harry and Ron, and he says something like, "She's mental" or something like that. Hermione overhears him. And runs to ball her eyes out, you know, and you can't help but feel bad for Hermione there because it's not necessarily she's bawling her eyes out because she, I mean, maybe she did because she like liked Ron, mm-hmm. like the guy that I like thinks that about me. It's just a rude thing to say, right? <laughs> yeah. um, but they go on and they still remain friends, and that's the thing. You always talk about it like this, <laughs> like this middle school, elementary school love. You know, people would always say, "Hey, if that girl's mean to you or if that boy's mean to you, it's because they like you." Yeah. Right. And in a way, that's kind of what it was with Ron and Hermione. They gave each other, you know, so much, you know, crap. You know, they, they kind of went at each other. Um, but I, it was never really malicious, mm-hmm. you know. You could tell they, they obviously strongly cared about each other. And you really start to see Hermione's feelings towards Ron really visible in the Half-Blood Prince, which is the sixth one. They had, like, the whole banquet thing. Yeah. And, uh... Well, I actually, I take that back. Goblet of Fire was one of them where they had like the when they had like the ball for for everything. You know, Harry went with like um w- some some girl. He wanted to go with one girl, Cho Chang, I think it was. Wanted to go with her, and she already had a date. And then I think Hermione wanted to be asked by Ron. Yeah. But Ron didn't. He was like, 
made some other comments. Ron was just a little slow. <laughs> just, he couldn't see it. Which, look, man, girls are complicated. Like, you know, girls girls would be like, I was giving you all these signals. It's like, what were the signals? <laughs> like a scratch of your nose? Like you gave me a sheet of paper? Like you, no one knows. I mean, their signals are so vague. Yeah. And so Hermione probably thought she was making it clear to Ron that she really had feelings for him, and Ron didn't. Or maybe Ron didn't feel that way until later on. But Half-Blood Prince is really, really I think, picked up. It was... Ron became a Quidditch star, and that one crazy chick kind of, like, <laughs> fell in love with him. And Ron, who had never really been getting much attention from girls, kind of, I mean, he thought it was weird, but he was like, heck yeah, like, yeah. you know, he's, he's he's getting he's getting it on, man. <laughs> he's getting some action. He's, he's popular. He's a, he's a Quidditch star. He's got he's got a girl, not the girl, but a girl. Um, and uh, I think for, for him, he was blind. He... he was blind to the fact that Hermione really, really liked yeah. her at that point. She was his biggest supporter with the Quidditch stuff. She helped. Um, he didn't know it, but she kind of did a little charm on a on a guy on the Quidditch pitch to help Ron out, yeah. to help make the team in a little bit. Um, she you know, and then when Ron came down there and saw Hermione was crying because he was with this other girl. Hermione got really mad at him and yeah. all that. So, but then when he gets unconscious, he's muttering her name. Hermione's name in his sleep and not whoever his girlfriend was at the time. She's such a minor character. No one cares or likes her. <laughs> um, I mean, that was really where I think it took off was like there. It was like, boom, okay. He likes her, clearly. She likes him. It just took until really episode eight. It was like this tension. Every movie, this tension kept building between the two. And then when they killed the Horcrux in the Chamber of Secrets in episode eight and they had that, that little kiss scene uh, <laughs> where they were soaking wet, you know. <laughs> Uh, that was where it was like the tension just broke. It was like boom, we've done it. Like you, you, they broke that barrier, you know, and it was like meant to be. So they made perfect fit for each other. Hermione, the the smart, responsible, goody two shoes, just perfect. And then Ron is it was brilliant. I mean, such a huge cause uh, and such a good huge role uh, in the series into the the fight against Voldemort. But Ron was a little more goofier, maybe yeah. not as smart. Definitely less responsible and organized, and you know what they say: opposites attract. So yeah. they were they were definitely perfect for each other. So didn't Harry go after Ron's sister? He did. Yeah, yeah. Harry. Harry ended up marrying Jenny. Yeah. Yes, which was Ron's sister. And looking back on that, you know, it, it's funny because when you watch when you watch them, like at that Chamber of Secrets, the first, the second episode, Harry shows up to the Weasley house, and Jenny's there, and it's her going to be her first year at Hogwarts. Yeah. And you think, man, like. Because they're like, Jenny has been talking nonstop about you this summer. And you're like, oh, that's so cute because he's like Ron's little sister. They're only a year apart. Yeah. So in the grand scheme of things, one year difference isn't that big a deal. You know, Harry's, you know, 30 and she's 29 or whatever. That, that One year doesn't make a big yeah. deal. But you you don't really get that sense early on in the series. And as yeah. they get older, you, you do start to see it. If you, maybe it's just because they look so different or I don't know. But, yeah, he ended up going after the sister. And, um, I, I of course, got their blessing. The Weasleys loved Harry like one of their own. Yeah. So. I, there's a couple of kissing scenes between them. I mean, you have to. They have, you have to have some sort of romantic <laughs> scenes in just about every movie, you know. So talk about how, like, Harry, be- like, became the one. Because he didn't, like, really have anybody that was powerful before him. So how, why would they consider him the one? Well, he was the chosen one because of, again, what happened uh, <laughs> What happened in, what was it, Godric's Hollow, where, where he and his parents lived yeah. as a baby, you know. Voldemort was on this like quest to kill everybody that wasn't, I guess, a full-blown wizard in a way. Yeah. Like if you were like a half-blood or whatever, if you weren't fully wizard, he was going to try to hunt you down and kill you. And that's what he was doing to, to Harry's parents. And 
because he he killed his parents and tried to kill Harry, and that failed. That be, made Harry the chosen one, and it was his bond. You know, and we don't know that at the time. We don't know that when the series starts, but when you get to episode you know six, really, is what, episode six is the first time that we get introduced into Horcruxes. Mm-hmm. Well, Voldemort, when that happened to Harry, kind of had his soul, and he did this on purpose too. Split his soul into seven different pieces. And his soul wasn't just like floating around somewhere. It was like in an object. Yeah. Uh, so it would have been like maybe a compass or um, a diary or uh, a ring or a goblet. Who knows what it could have been. And, and they're hidden all over the place. And he did that obviously to try to stay as powerful as possible because the only way to kill him would be to destroy all the Horcruxes. Yeah. And so Harry was the chosen one because Harry was a Horcrux. H- Harry had to die to kill Voldemort, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and we didn't know that until the eighth movie, which, which was cool though. So it, it's amazing. I mean, the the way J.K. Rowling's mind worked and the way that she just thought so far ahead was brilliant. But Harry was the chosen one because he survived Voldemort. Mm-hmm. Not many people can say Voldemort tried to kill me and I survived. You know, and yeah. he did. And, and 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 in doing so, almost killed Voldemort back. You yeah. know, he he vanished Voldemort for about four years, which was great. I mean, short, very short four years, but he did it. Yeah. And that's why he was the chosen one again. How much thought you can put into that because he was just a baby, I don't know. But, again, that's something that no other wizard had ever done. So it was just very, very unique. Yeah. As a talk, so with Professor Snape, he was kind of a, how do you say it? Like he was a good guy at points. Like he was kind of watching over Harry. But mm-hmm. then he was also the pretty much a bad guy that was Baltimore's right-hand man mm-hmm. and everything. So kind of talk about how that developed throughout the movie. I, I felt really really bad for for Snape. If you watch the movies, you know, especially at first, you think, God, Snape's just this horrible, mean person. He's just a jerk. He hates Harry. He, he's a Slytherin, so he obviously is going to hate, uh, you know, Gryffindor and everything it stands for. And Snape is very gruff and stuff, but he was just so... He was just so conflicted. Uh, and uh, the reason he was so conflicted was... Because he loved Harry's mother. And that was so heartbreaking. He loved Harry's mother. They hung out as kids, man. Yeah. Like, they were, like, friends. And she ended up going after Harry's dad, who was just an absolute jerk. He was a bully. And so Snape would say things like that over the course of the movies. He'd say, you know, your father was a liar. Your father was a bully. He was a jerk. He was this and that. And Harry's like, don't talk about my dad that way. And then when Harry actually sees that footage, because he goes to the pensieve mm-hmm. and sees the, the memories... I don't know why Harry didn't like be like crap. My dad was like that. <laughs> I think he'd be like he did name his kid. Uh, one of his kids had Severus in the name. Yeah, you know, and so he recognized that Snape really was a good person. That because if you remember late later on in the movie, you know, Snape, Snape's character is so complicated. I'm trying to find out the best way to like run through this. <laughs> because it's, it really is amazing. The double agent, yes, because he loved Harry's mother, was devastated that she had died. Um. And that really screwed him up. Yeah. It really screwed him up. The fact that Harry still lived was like the one part of Harry's mother that was still, that alive. Was still yeah. alive for Snape. And Snape actually did everything he could to protect Harry. Harry. Yeah. He didn't look like it, but he did. I mean, go back to the Prisoner of Azkaban. He showed up to try to protect Harry and them from Sirius Black and, mm-hmm. and Lupin and everything, e- e- even though... They weren't bad people, you know. It was a, that was a very conflicting part too. 
Snape worked with Dumbledore, and he was part of the Order of the Phoenix, yeah. which is like this army to battle the Dark Wizards, to bat- battle Voldemort. He worked with Dumbledore and kind of got to this agreement of, hey, I'm like Dumbledore knew he worked with Voldemort. You know, it was like this. It wasn't like this shock. Dumbledore knew, hey, you're. I want you on the inside. Like I want you to remain loyal to Voldemort because, in doing so, you're going to be able to help me get valuable information. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was it was the same way. Voldemort thought, hey, with you on the inside at Hogwarts, you can get me valuable information. Yeah. To Dumbledore or Harry or whatever it is. And, and Snape had to play that role as best as he could, and that was why when Episode Six came around, when they made the the death uh, deal, I guess yeah. when when it was basically Draco has to kill Dumbledore, and if Draco's unable to fulfill it for whatever reason, Snape, you're going to do it. Yeah. And Snape kind of went to Dumbledore after he made that deal and was like, <laughs> "Bro, I'm so sorry. Like, I had to do this." And Dumbledore was like, "Look, you made a deal. Voldemort wants Draco to do it, but if he can't, you have to do it." And when Harry watched that, he thought Snape murdered him in cold blood. Yeah. But it wasn't. And that's what Harry never understood until late, late in the movie. It was, Snape didn't want to kill Dumbledore. Uh-uh. Of course he didn't. But he had to. He had to to really gain Voldemort's trust. He had to to, to really show how loyal he was. And in doing so, that loyalty to Voldemort helped out Harry in defeating him. And the last thing I'll say on Snape on that is his Patronus, which is what you cast to get rid of Dementors, his Patronus was like a doe, uh, a deer. Um, and in the first, the Deathly Hallows Part 1, I believe it was, they had the Patronus in the woods. They're looking for this, uh, they're looking for something, the Sword of Godric Gryffindor, to, 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 to destroy a Horcrux. And this Patronus shows up out of nowhere. It's a doe. And Harry follows it to the sword of Godric Gryffindor. Snape was out there casting his Patronus to help Harry find it, to help him. And he didn't know that. He didn't know that until he saw the memory yeah. later on. So Snape was out there constantly looking over him, doing everything in his power to help him out. And I just can't help but feel almost horrible for him because of how difficult that would have been for for someone to you know, have to play that double agent role to be so gruff, to be so tough, and just be so conflicted because the woman that he loved that he never even got to be with died. And the only thing that was left of her was, as they all said, Harry's eyes. They always yeah. said, you have your mother's eyes. And that was the last thing that, that Snape said to said to Harry. So it was it was really a beautiful character arc that lasted the full eight movies. From, from episode one, you thought he was this jerk. You never really could see any good in Snape. Why was he so mean to Harry? And then episode eight, all you came to realize it. And it was it was beautiful. It's fantastic. I mean, it felt to me like it. He treated Harry like his own son. Like he loved his, his mom so much, he just felt like he had to protect Harry since his dad really didn't care. Well, that's a, he yes, he was trying to protect. Even go back to um, the Sorcerer's Stone. Voldemort is kind of pos- has possessed Professor mm-hmm. Quirrell, and he is casting this curse on Harry's broom. His broom goes everywhere. You yeah, know, all stuff, and and. They zoom. Hermione's like looking with her, her binoculars, and they see Snape muttering something. She's like, "It's Snape. Snape's the one that's that's doing the curse on on Harry." It wasn't Snape doing that. Snape was trying to reverse it. Yeah. And Voldemort or Quirrell was the one casting the spell, and Snape was trying to counteract that. But again, that was just one of those cases where no one knew. Yeah. They they didn't know, so they went and lit him on fire. <laughs> Luckily, it didn't do much damage. But, um, 
in a way, I would say, I don't know if he was necessarily treating him like his son. He was almost like a guardian. But Snape knew also for the sake of his, you know, to, to play that double agent role, he couldn't buddy up to Harry. Yeah. I don't know if he ever would have. But he knew he couldn't be polite to him. He knew he couldn't be, like, as kind to him as Dumbledore or McGonagall or anybody else was. Treat him like royalty like everybody else did. Because in doing so, that would almost ruin Snape's cover in yeah. a way. So he had to be gruff. He had to be mean. He had to play that role uh, for the sake of everything. They played the long game. I mean, Dumbledore, Snape, everybody knew Voldemort was going to be back at some point. So for about 10 years or so, I mean, really, Voldemort was gone for, like, 16, 15 years. I mean, uh-huh. because it was from the time that Harry was really born to the Goblet of Fire, when Harry was probably about 15, 16. But they played the long game, knowing that he was going to come back. And ever since they he vanished, they, they played that long game, knowing Harry was going to be the chosen one. We've got to build him up, prepare him to fight. Uh, and we've got to be ready to to defeat Voldemort again whenever that time may come. So it really, it was a very intricate plan, but very well thought out. When Snape died, wasn't it Harry right beside him? Yes, yes. And that was another thing, too. So the Elder Wand, the most powerful wand yeah. in the world, was what Dumbledore had. Yeah. The only way you can get the Elder Wand and actually use its powers, it actually be beneficial to you, is if you are the one who disarms that person. You win it from somebody. Yeah. So, like, someone couldn't disarm you with the Elder One and then give that one to me and I'd be able to use the power because I didn't earn it. Yeah. Right? And if you remember, when Dumbledore was up there on the balcony, Draco disarmed Dumbledore. Snape killed Dumbledore. But because Draco disarmed him, because Draco disarmed him, Technically, the Elder One belonged to Draco. Draco. Yeah. Voldemort didn't know that. He was given the Elder One. He actually just went and stole it. Yeah. He just went and stole it from Dumbledore's grave, thinking, I've got it now. But that's not how it works. And and he started to realize that. And actually, I take that back. Really, it was Snape, I guess. It, maybe it's Kill, because Voldemort brought Snape down there and was like, I figured out the secret of the Elder One, and because you were the one that won it, technically, from Dumbledore or whatever, you know, I've got to win it from you. He was like, sorry, like, you've been a great follower, but I'm going to have to kill you now. Yeah. And he stuck his snake on him and and killed him. Actually slit his throat. That was brutal. Yeah. And and then Harry ran in there and collected Snape's tears, was able to see those memories of his father and see how Snape really was a good person. Yeah. Um, And again, ultimately ended up naming naming one of his children after him. Um, So talk about how the main villain, Voldemort, how he kind of grew into being this monster and everything. Voldemort is to me very similar to like Anakin if you know Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Half-Blood Prince 6 movie we see a little bit of a backstory of Tom Riddle who mm-hmm. ultimately becomes Voldemort. He was an orphan. He lived in this orphanage. He was a very disturbed child. But I always wonder who wouldn't be. If you're a kid who is left alone and you have these powers that you can't explain you can make people do things. You can do things to objects. You can talk to snakes or whatever. That would be pretty freaky. And you would definitely want to know, like, why? Like, how am I able to do this? Someone, please help me control these people. And that's basically what happened. So he was very powerful. He knew the potential. Dumbledore goes and finds him, brings him to Hogwarts. He's like, listen, I know who you are. Like, I get what you're doing. I can do this too. Yeah. Come to Hogwarts. We can teach you and train you. And he did. And developed into a fantastic wizard. But very similar to Anakin Star Wars, Tom Riddle, Voldemort, 
realized that he he thought he could be more powerful than anybody else. He wanted that power. He had that lust for power. And in doing so, he basically broke away from everything that the wizards believed in. You know, it, it was he just became a bad guy. He he became a dark wizard because he started searching for that power more than just learning the arts of, of wizarding and, and being good. And he thought, if I can branch off and use my power for evil, I'm going to become the most powerful wizard in the world. And that's what he wanted. Very similar to Anakin. Anakin did his more out of love. You know, Anakin did his because he wanted to protect his wife. He became evil for, for, for the people that he loved. Obviously, it didn't work out. Voldemort just did it for power. And that's really how it how it came to be. He He wanted to be the most powerful wizard in the world and create a world of just pure wizards and know nobody that was like half and half, you know, that's what he wanted. It's a full wizarding world. And uh, it was a very dark arc. So from somebody who read the books and watched the movies, who would you consider your favorite character out of everybody? (laughs) Uh, I mean, the cop-out answer, of course, would be Harry. Yeah. That that would be a cop-out answer. I really... I have a handful of characters that I really, really like. Um, I love Professor McGonagall. I probably love her more <laughs> in, in the movies uh, than I do in the books. I don't know why. I don't know why. I just think she's awesome, and she and she was kind of like this guardian for Harry as well. You know, she really, she was a minor-ish character that we didn't really get to see in action that much. But you knew she was pure. You know, yeah. McGonagall was cool. I always, I always loved uh, uh, Professor Lupin. Remus Lupin, uh, who came in in episode three yeah. uh, and was a werewolf, but he just kind of had, to me, he was just a cool dude. He was just kind of had that swagger. <laughs> like a, like I was like, man, I'd love to take a picture. Not picture. I'd love to take a class with that guy. Yeah. I'd love to be in his class. So I really liked him. I liked McGonagall. Um, I like Snape. I really do. There are times I didn't like him, but I like the way he talks. <laughs> <laughs> it just, he's just very monotone. And then, of course, how, seeing his character art come all the way around, it, it really really sealed the deal for me. Like just seeing how difficult of a life he lived and, and how good that he was at the end. Like that, that did a lot for me, I think. So I think this would be a couple for me that, that stood out more than just the, the Ron Hermione and, and Harry. Yeah. Do you feel like they should make, um, I know it's those books, but do you feel like with this, like the new book or whatever, that's like the play or whatever. Do you think that they should make a movie? I would love that. I would love to see them make a movie of the Cursed Child, which which is a play. I've read that book. It's really just a screenplay. It's just you know it's like yeah. the, the lines, basically the script um, of the play, without the music, of course. Because it's, it's a pretty good book. Like it's super good. It's fantastic. I mean, the whole storyline it takes place like well after um you know the the episode eight ends nineteen years after the events of the Battle yeah. of Hogwarts. You know, Harry and everybody's married. They all have kids. They're sending their kids off to Hogwarts, and the majority of the story revolves around their kids. Yeah. But there's this new fear that Voldemort could possibly be back, and then you involve time travel again. It's amazing. It's a really, really good, well-written story. And I think it would be so cool to see our favorite characters back in action again and seeing a little bit of their kids in action too. But it's just never going to happen. They're never going to make a screen adaptation of that play, unfortunately. Uh, part of it is I just I just don't know if they could swing it. Another reason is I, I think... That Daniel Radcliffe, you know Emma Watson, um, Rupert Grant. I don't. I don't think they'd do it. I don't think they'd come back for it. You don't think they would? Mm-mm, I really don't. Especially Emma Watson. She she so far to me has probably been the most successful post Harry Potter than the yeah. other two. They both done well. They've both done well. But in terms of other movies, she's probably been the most successful. And 
I think I always wonder, you know, you have a bunch of actors out there. These guys made their careers on this movie series. Yeah. I mean, eight movies that they worked together forever. I mean, I can't imagine how, you know, I've seen clips of when they say, cut, that's the end. Harry Potter, they just break down in tears yeah. because and I, it almost made me cry because we, as fans, <laughs> as fans, we grow up with them. We're watching them in theaters, but we, you know, we go like a year or two without seeing them in theaters. Yeah. They're working with each other almost every single day for 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 years on end, creating these movies that have, again, that you have a whole world of it at Universal and all that. And but they 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 stage their career on that. And I think some actors and actresses don't like to be remembered for one role. Yeah. You know, like yes, Daniel Radcliffe for us will always be Harry Potter. Yeah. That's who he is. But he's like, yes, I was Harry Potter, but I've also done all this other stuff. You know, I think that was Star Wars. Mark Hamill did plenty. But you're always gonna think of Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker, yeah. you know, and I, and I just think that's something that they don't always want to necessarily get roped back into. It that was a great time. I, Harry Potter is very near and dear to my heart. It gave me my start. It will forever be so important to me. But that's not what I always want to do because I'm young. I I still got a lot of acting left in me. I'm not I'm not gonna be Harry Potter forever, you know. Yeah. I think that's kind of what they. I, I just don't think they do it. Well, they're talking about making a show on HBO Max or whatever about Harry Potter. And everything that's gonna come out in like two, three years. Dude, be my guess. I would be thrilled. About, <laughs> I mean, more I Harry think, Potter content, the better. I think it's more like their kids type of stuff. Like, yeah, and, and and they could do that. Like, I mean, I don't know how much I'd like that, but they could make a series based on our main character's kids without having to show Harry, Hermione, Ron. I feel like you need to show them at some point just to set that scene. Yeah, like showing them off to Hogwarts or whatever. But you could do that. You could easily make a series based around our main character's kids or anybody for that matter. It doesn't even have to be them. Like you, it's like, it's like star Wars. You not everything with the star Wars has to be associated with the, with the Skywalker saga. You, you can make a completely different series of, with characters in an era that we are unfamiliar with. You know, I'd be cool if they went way back in time with Hogwarts, like before Dumbledore was headmaster. Yeah. Let's see some old timey Hogwarts or, you know, what's it look like present day now? You know, like I think that'd be kind of cool to see, them switch that up a little bit. You don't have to stick with our main characters if you don't want to. And I know they've kind of done that a little bit with the Fantastic Beast movie. Yeah. They, they've done two of those, and it's, it's somewhat in the same era, a little bit in the past, prior to Harry being born, obviously, because Dumbledore was very young in those yeah. movies. Uh, and it's a cool backstory because you're seeing things in the, in the movies that we've watched that are being referenced in the Fantastic Beast movie. So that's a nice little touch, especially since those were like, <laughs> well, especially since those were books that were written in the movies, you know, like, like, Hermione, I'm reading Fantastic Beast. I'm like, oh, yeah, because, they, you know, they, yeah. now you're like, oh, there's a, there's a book about that. Newt Scamander, like, we watched two movies with him. They might be making a third. That's cool. That's neat. You can do that. Um, but that's always a risky game to play. So if you're going to do something like that, you've got to actually execute that perfectly. I think it'd be cool to go back and, like, make a movie now, but have all the professors be, like, the Harry, the Hermione, the Ron, like, with Dumbledore and yeah, yeah. I mean, and Snape. Well, and the thing, oh, everybody yeah. growing up. Oh, yeah, so you say, like, all of our main characters growing up? Like, all the professors, mm. but growing up to be, like, kind of like Harry Potter and Hermione, but actually have the professors the same age. Oh, I see, I see, yeah. I mean, pretty interesting, I think. So you can kind of see the relationship between Snape and um, Harry's mom. Yes, and I see. with the dad kind of make a movie, like, kind of on that, because I think it'd be pretty cool. Yeah, it's kind of like to have our professors that we've grown up with, seeing them in the past, how they yeah. got to where they were. You know, what, yeah. Or were they, like, as young wizards? You know, <laughs> that, yeah, yeah, I mean, that would be pretty neat, honestly. Yeah. yeah it'd be I fun to watch. It, yeah. Well, thank you for talking about Harry Potter with with me today. Yeah, anytime. I, I'm always always here for a good discussion. <laughs> well, um, I hope y'all tune in for next week. It's gonna be a good one.